I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Now, let me give you a fanboy alert. My guest today, without exception, is my absolute hero, my top number one absolute hero. I cannot think of anyone that has affected my life more than Jill Balti Taylor. In the last seven years of my life, most of my actions, most of my ability to seek my feminine side, to live in flow, has been triggered by her unbelievably emotional, touching, informative, connecting TED Talk, which was titled My Stroke of Insight, which has received now well over 26 million views. Every time Jill gets to the point where she said, I found Nirvana, I cry like a baby every single time because she describes it so well every single time, and I've listened to this tens of times already. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor is a Harvard-trained and published neuroscientist. In 1996, she experienced a stroke that basically disabled the left hemisphere of her brain. She lost her ability to walk, to talk, to read, to write, or recall any of her life. And she documented it all in a memoir, a New York Times bestseller, that was titled My Stroke of Insight. My Stroke of Insight spent 63 weeks on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list, and it's still today routinely the number one book about strokes on Amazon. After her TED Talk, Dr. Jill was chosen as one of Times Magazine 100 most influential people in the world. I agree, honestly definitely the top one most influential on my life, and was the premier guest on Oprah Winfrey's Soul Series webcast. And here's the big news. Jill Balti Taylor has now a new book that was released on May 11th, Whole Brain Living. That's an interesting idea, living with your whole brain. It's the anatomy of choice and the four characters that drive our life. Jill debunks the myth that we only use 10% of our brain. She dives deep into the idea that our right brain hemisphere is not only our emotional brain, that our left brain hemisphere houses a lot more than just rational thinking, and that as we have emotional tissue and rational thinking tissue evenly divided between the two hemispheres, we actually have different characters inside us that guide who we become and who we can choose to be. If you have not already watched Dr. Jill's TED Talk from 2008, A Stroke of Insight, my advice is to pause the podcast actually and go watch it. I think it would get you to know a lot more about Jill before we start and would allow me to focus more on her new book so that we can have a wonderful conversation about her mission in life, which is driven by how we can use our brain to be better at everything that we do. 
Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. I want so much to talk about your original TED Talk, but I'm sure you spoke about it a million times. Okay, so before we start, I will say to anyone listening to us, if you haven't heard Jill's TED Talk, original TED Talk, maybe 13, 14 years ago. Yes, 08. Yeah, it's called A Stroke of Insight. It changed my life. And we will touch on a few elements of it, but you cannot be a full human being without listening to it. So pause the podcast and go listen to it. All right, that's the first thing. <laughs> I love it. I also, I'm super curious about your next book. Yes. Right? Yes. And so I don't know how much you're, you're willing to share with us about the new book. I heard a few yes, parts. all of it. There you go. There you go. So this is great. I heard a few parts. It's called Whole Brain Living. And it's actually really sounds like music to my ears. So what is a whole brain living to start? If you just give us an overview. So, you know, we've heard the myth that we only use 10% of our brain. And that's simply not true. Neurons are living, thriving creatures. And they're like humans. They're social. They want to be in a social network where their meaning is to be stimulated by others and to stimulate others. So if you have a neuron and it's connected inside of your brain, you're using it. So I say if it's alive and it's in your head, you're using it. So that's first of all. Second thing that we have been trained to believe is that the right brain is our emotional brain. And our left brain is our rational thinking brain. And that's simply not true. Both hemispheres have equally divided emotional systems. Oh. So we have two emotional systems and we have two thinking modules of cells, one in each hemisphere. So as evolution happens over the course of time for the mammalian brain, we have species and all the, and it has tissue and all the tissue works out the kinks with the tissue below it. And then new tissue gets added on top. And then we spend eons of time working the kinks out of that tissue. So for the human and for other mammals, we all have the emotional cells of our limbic tissue in each hemisphere, but human has this added on thinking tissue. So whole brain living for me is these four modules of cells. And Mo, it's not just that there's a group of cells, but groups of cells are different from one another. They specialize in different things. They result in different skill sets. And ultimately, those skill sets are going to manifest as some kind of a personality, some kind of a character. Oh. So to me, whole brain living is getting to know each of those four modules of cells, those four characters that we all share at an anatomical level. And boy, when we understand who's who inside of our own head and we're starting, we, we're listening to the conversations now, because we understand the values of each of those four characters, our internal world makes so much more sense. And then we have the power to actually choose which of those four we want to jump into at any moment. And to me, that's pure personal power. So it's not emotional and rational. It's emotional, rational, both sides. One is left, one is right. Left is much more linguistic and yeah. It's emotional thinking. The only one that's rational is the left. Okay. But it's not just the thinking tissue in the left brain is our rational ah. mind that we use to interact with the external world. The thinking tissue in the right hemisphere doesn't even know what an eye is. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. So the core of why I absolutely believe that you you brightened my life was when you described the difference between the left being the linear, the linguist, the problem solver, if you want, the time bound, looking back and, and forward and so on. And that right brain, the moment, I don't know if you remember that from your TED talk, when you said, <laughs> I found... Yes, I do. <laughs> I found nirvana. Remember when you said that? When you were yes. describing your experience with a left brain stroke, living in your right brain, and you said, I found nirvana, I cried every time, every single time. Even today, when I was preparing for the talk, I cried again. Because this to me, truly, in a very interesting way, matches the description of nirvana. To be able to live on that right-hand side of the brain, where you're completely in the present moment, you're able to sense and feel, and there is no sense of I, there is a sense of we. Now, with your new work, you're saying there are more than two. There are four of them. Okay, so after I gave that TED Talk, I, had, I ended the TED Talk saying, we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be. We can step into the consciousness of the present moment where I am right here, right now in that right hemisphere, or I can step into the consciousness of my left brain, which has a past and a future. So I had over 300,000 people write me emails and say, well, for you to do that, you had a stroke. It wiped out your left hemisphere and you found nirvana. But how do I, without having a stroke, how do I get there? Yes. And I didn't have an answer to that because I could tell you what it was like and what it felt like and that it was there, but I didn't have a roadmap for you to go from left to right. Now I had, because in order for me to recover, I had to use my right hemisphere in order to recover my left hemisphere. So I managed to go from right to left, but how do I tell someone in the left to go to the right? And then I was giving a presentation for a conference and I said to this audience, and this was like in 2016, 2017, and I said to them, you know, I love presenting about the brain in this day and age because people love to talk about the brain. They know the different parts of the brain. They know about the amygdala and the hippocampi. But the fact of the matter is we have two amygdala and the whole room just went <gasps> like, oh, my God, really? There's two of them. And I realized Isn't in that moment. Enough? <laughs> is it one enough? Exactly. I can blame everything on my one amygdala. You know, I'm an alarm, alarm, <laughs> alert, alert. Oh, it's my amygdala. Don't worry about it. You know, it'll pass. But no, we have two of them. And in that instant, I understood people did not understand that our emotional limbic system is evenly divided between the two hemispheres. So we have amygdala and hippocampus and anterior and cingulate gyrus in the left hemisphere, and it's related to the past and the future. And we have emotional amygdala and hippocampus and anterior cingulate gyrus of the present moment. So we have these two very separate, unique, interestingly similar, but different emotional systems. And then we have two thinking modules of cells, one in the left hemisphere related to the past and the future and the present moment in the right brain thinking tissue. So I'm going to take you through these four characters. Okay. And I encourage people to name them. 
because these are identities. These are parts of your identity and they know it and they want a name and they want to be heard because they're always fighting for the microphone inside your own head. So give them a name, be kind to them. Like Jackie? Well, we, yeah. it depends on whatever works for you. <laughs> All right. You know, maybe Jackie for hijack if it's, you know, your character, too. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever works for you. So character number one is the left thinking tissue. This is our rational brain. This is our now as you look at that tissue, if you just look at the tissue and what does the tissue do, there is a group of cells in the parietal left parietal brain that defines the boundaries of where we begin and where we end. If you wipe out that tissue, you don't know where you begin and where you end. So I know that my face is my face. And I know that these glasses that I wear on my face pretty much all day are not a part of me organically because there's the group of cells creating a holographic image of where I begin and where I end. So all of a sudden now I become an individual. I become an individual mass separate from the atoms and molecules around me. Without those cells, I have zero perception that I'm separate from the atoms and molecules around me. Now, that's profound. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And that actually is one of the reasons for most of the challenges we have in our world today. Exactly. I end somewhere and everybody else is different than I am. Everything else Every other exactly. being on the planet is different. It's not part of that skin container. And so I don't care about it. Exactly. So here I have the boundaries of where I begin and end. So now I'm individual. And I have language cells that allow me to create sound and allow me to place meaning on abstract sounds. Dog is a sound, but we can place a meaning on that sound dog. So now I have language. So now I'm communicating with the external world, but I'm an individual. So all everything I'm filtering, I'm filtering down through the filter of me. How does it relate to me? And this part of our brain likes to organize and control everything. So it feels safe. Well, we'll get to safety, but it likes to control people, places, and things. It likes you to put the stapler back where the stapler belongs because that stapler <laughs> has a place, by golly. Why didn't you put the stapler back? And it's that character one that cares about order in the external world. And it will define morally what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. And so now it's defining the box, not just of what am I, as an individual, but what box am I going to live inside of? And what behaviors are outside of my acceptable box? Powerful, powerful part of who we are. It's our A-type personality. It's our rational brain. Most of us can relate to that. I call mine Helen, short for hell on wheels. She gets it done. <laughs> okay. She holds my body a certain way. She wears glasses. She puts in earrings. She combs my hair. She puts on a presentable shirt. She has a certain intonation of her voice. I put on lipstick. I'm prepared. I'm punctual. I'm organizing time. So my character one got here today to talk to you. Mm. Yeah. Without her, you wouldn't be able to get it all together and get it done and speak to me rationally. Exactly. I'd have been late or if I'd have remembered. Because I had to have to look at the calendar. Did I look at the calendar today? It's my character one that's going to look at the calendar. So interesting. And so character one, would it be safe? I don't know the other characters yet. So would it be safe to say that character one is the one that goes to work? 
is the one that's saving a lot of the training. So accordingly, it's becoming one of the most dominant characters of who we are because we're constantly training it all the time. We're only always in doing, we're always in the doing, always in the discipline, always in the correction, always in the criticism and, and it's individual. Exactly. I love that correction and criticism. Absolutely. And it's the boss. I mean, it's the boss. Is it? Is it the boss naturally for every one of us or? Um, no, but in our world, it has a hierarchy. It values materialism. So it is motivated to do all those things you just said, get a training, correct itself, get better at what it's doing, get up a little early, give it an advantage. That's how it thinks in order to grab the day by the you know brain, not by just the tail. <laughs> I mean, it's busy. It's got a to-do list, but it is uh, it measures its value on how much money it earns, how big its house is, how many toys it has, how it compares to you because you're different. It thinks on the hierarchy. So where am I on that hierarchy? I'm trying to get to the next rung, trying to get to the next rung. I like that personal correction in order to do more, get better. So it's the do, 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 busy to-do list person who's, um, you know, it's going to make a decision based on, well, what's in this for me? And how is it going to serve me? Is it fair, Jill, to say, I don't like this guy? I really don't. I mean, it's this fair. guy is really, yeah, it's, I think it's the biggest part of me, to be very honest, for years and years being trained as an engineer, you know. Mm -hmm, yes. Engineering, thinking, how things yeah. all fit together, da, 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 da. Yes. Years and years of meditation, years of happiness practice. I came a very, very long way, but this guy is still there. I'm like, why are you What's still here? What's his name? I don't know. I, I, I'm going to call him something horrible, you know, Brian or something. But, you know, it really is. I don't mean anything, by the way, to Brian's yes. listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, Brian. <laughs> we love you, Brian. It's just it's just comparing Brian to brain. Haha, <laughs> blank on word here. Yeah, 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 here, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So when I heard your first talk, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep going back to it. It's a pivotal moment in my life. That was the one part of my brain that I was trying to say, shut up. Let the other characters show up. Because they're all part of me, actually. That's right. When I do those HR surveys and, you know, the tests and so on, I'm quite in every part of them in a very emotional brain. I, my EQ is quite reasonable and so on and so forth. But this guy is the boss. Yes. This guy He's is loud. just annoying. Well, yeah. think about loud. that, Mo. He, <laughs> he has language. Ah. He has language. So he's the one who's using his language loudly and he's very domineering. He needs to be right. This is the part of us that we will fight and we will argue because we need to be right. And other characters just like give up. It's like, you know, why would I compete with that? Right. Yeah. Because it's so extreme. And in our society, uh, it's highly valued. sadly, it is extremely extreme. And so we have this skewed to the left hemisphere dominance throughout the world at this point. Well, some cultures are actually more right dominant, but we can talk about that later. But we're skewed to the value structure of the left. Let me go to character two, because character two, that one is also, and I'm going to start by saying all of these characters are absolutely valuable because they serve us in a certain way. But when anybody gets the ultimate goal is balance. Whole brain living is about balancing the interaction and the voices of each of these characters so that we completely serve ourselves and as a single mass in communication, which I call our brain team. And then the brain team has what we call a brain huddle. And that's a conversation, an ongoing 
called by choice conversation between our different characters. So character two is the emotion of the past. Now, as we think about us as human beings, we have two very different hemispheres that function in very different timely manners. The universe is spinning as a present moment. It's a present moment. There's always a present moment. Cut out my left brain and all I have is a present moment. The world spins, the trees grow, the fish jump. Life just happens in a present moment. The right hemisphere, the right emotional system just carry on in the present moment. And then the right thinking carries on in the present moment. So that will be character two for the right emotion or character three for the right emotion and character four for the right thinking. It's just right here, right now, without the identification of self or the definition of right, wrong, good, bad, that I as a human brain apply to control and create order in my world. Character two is this amazing group of tissue that is all of our pain from the past. Because this group of cells, the emotional tissue of our left hemisphere, brings information in about the present moment, and it was willing to step out of the consciousness of the present moment and look at the present moment information and say, based on my experience in my past, is there any reason for me to push away, say, alarm, alarm, alert, alert, that doesn't feel safe, I don't like it, I don't want it, I don't want anything to do with it. So this is our alarm, alarm, alert, alert, that whatever I'm experiencing is going to trigger a memory of anything I've experienced in the past, and it thrives on what is familiar. So this is the part of our brain that likes familiar. It likes people who behave like it behaves of its cultural norm. It likes the cultural norm the societal norm. This is the portion that if you look different from me, I don't like you, my jerk away. This is my racism. This is my bigotry. I know it's serious. It's heavy, heavy stuff because it's saying you're not familiar. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe in the presence of you. Little character two, emotion of the left hemisphere. That's profound. If you don't look like me, if you don't sound like me, if you don't eat what I eat, if you don't pray the way I pray, if you don't whatever, a million list, this is what the part of me that says you're different from me, you scare me, you're dangerous, and I'm going to push away. So this is what we used to term in the past when we spoke about the amygdala triggering all of that fear and stress and so on. This is really the amygdala on the left side of the brain. So it's the tissue that really is constantly comparing your current view of life to what you want your life to be. And if it's not familiar, it's dangerous, too dangerous to even consider. Let's just sound the alarms. Alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I'm not safe. So I'm going to run from you. I'm going to play dead. Or I'm going to I'm going to flee. I'm going to fight. You're different from me. And that would apply to everything else. So if, if I'm in a situation everything. in a situation where my colleague at work is, uh, I understand they're making a dollar more than I am, then that's a reason for fear. Uh, you know, if my you know the person I'm trying to date doesn't answer my phone, then that's a reason for fear. This is constantly comparing and trying to find what's wrong with life. Exactly. Constantly. We're going to call that chicken little, right? 
Well, now we have to be kind to it because oh, it was brave enough. Uh -huh. It was brave enough to step out of the blissful euphoria of the present moment so that you have this protection. Mm. It's a superhero. Now, does it know how to do it gracefully? Zero. There is zero <laughs> grace in that alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't feel safe, right? It's going to get loud. It's going to get ang angry. It's going to get ugly. It's going to hide. It's going to flee. It's going to go on the attack. It's going to do all these horrible things because it's terrified. It's terrified. It could be, look where I live. I live in nature. You put me in the city. Oh my gosh, alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't feel safe there. And you take a big city slicker and you stick them in the country and you stick them out in euphoria where I find euphoria. And they're terrified. There are snakes here. There are turtles here. There's, there's the unknown underneath the water. Who knows what's in the woods? I mean, whatever it is. But this is a very real part of ourselves. And this little character too, I call mine Abby. And Abby is short for abandoned. Now, I want you to think about this. When I was in the womb, when I was first conceived, take the DNA from mom and the DNA from dad, put it together in a single cell. And that single cell is called the zygote cell. I call it the mighty zygote because it has the molecular genius that is going to metamorphosize itself into the human body that I am today. So the mighty zygote begins as a single cell in this magnificent fluid environment, and it's completely at the whim of the consciousness of the universe and the consciousness of my mother's body, and it's a fluid environment, and it's dark in there, and it's muted for sounds in there, and that little zygote cell has the ability to duplicate its DNA and then repackage its, uh, the DNA, duplicate the DNA, repackage the DNA at a rate of up to 250,000 new cells per second. 250,000 cells per second, not per minute. So here's a consciousness of this entity. And the energy is the energy shared as the consciousness of the universe. There's no differentiation. You know, there's differentiation at a genetic cellular level, but energetically, this thing is multiplying and multiplying and multiplying until there's some 50 trillion beautiful molecular geniuses making up our body. That's a lot of molecular geniuses. So here I am, I'm in the womb. I've gone from a single cell to gosh knows how many trillion of cells as an infant baby or as a, a fetus. And then I get born into the world. In that moment, to me, that is abandonment. Because all of a sudden, the world that I have known, I'm in a liquid environment, my lungs are filled with liquid, I'm symbiotic in relationship to this beautiful heartbeat of my mother's heart, and bam, all of a sudden, I'm out in air. <gasps> what do I do? <gasps> all of a sudden, I my diaphragmatic muscle contracts and sucks air into my lungs. <gasps> I scream, ah, why wouldn't I? Because, oh my gosh, uh, lights are now bright, sounds are now no longer muted and people are poking and prodding me and the temperature of the air is different than whatever was going on in that beautiful womb. And to me, that is the birth of Abby. That is our original abandonment. And everything else builds on top of that, oh my gosh, traumatic experience. Just being born was a traumatic experience. And so now anything that remotely takes me back to that trauma, I'm going to say no. I don't want it. No.
Mm. All right. But that consciousness, those cells are precious because they're no longer stepping in the present moment. They're bringing it in. They've stepped out of euphoria so that they can save our life. And, you know, talk about the biggest martyr on the planet. It's our little character, too, because it sacrificed its own peaceful euphoria so that we could find in the past, based on our past experience, any threat. Is it not exaggerating a little? I mean, think about it. We're living. No, it's alarm, 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 alarm. Yeah, we're we're living a life that's not really that threatening anymore. I mean, yes, absolutely correct, absolutely correct. But it doesn't know that, you know, it doesn't know that. I mean, it, we're talking eons of evolution of the mammalian nervous system in order to figure out how do we stay alive? How do we become flexible and resilient? How do we protect ourselves from an immediate threat? Because if we don't protect ourselves from an immediate threat, then if I see a bus coming and I don't jump out of the way of it because I realize that if that bus hits me, then I'm going to die, then there still is a lot of danger. Now, is it over-exaggerated based on our society and the evolution of us? Absolutely. But you can't tell it that. It never matures. This is a group of cells that is established by birth because emotionally it's that fight or flight. We have to have that when we're born. I have a need. Um, I'm hungry. I have pain in my belly. I scream. Somebody comes. Somebody feeds me. Oh, that was nice. It doesn't happen. The pain gets stronger. The pain gets stronger. I make a mess. I feel uncomfortable. I'm not being tended to. My needs are not being met. I scream. I mean, it is designed for us to, yeah, it's over-exaggerated. At the same time, regardless of that, it is what it is. It is what it is. Are you going to tell us about the relationship between the different characters? I mean, does Abby talk to... Who was the first one? Um, Helen. Helen. Does Abby talk to Helen? Well, they're all in there. And ultimately, the ultimate goal will be the brain huddle, where all four get called into the huddle, and we're going to have a communication among all four of us. Nice. So that's character two. Well, what do you call your little unhappy self, Mo? Give him a name. <laughs> uh, I'm going to call him, but I'm not going to say why. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. As long as you know why, that's all that matters. Because then yes. you'll remember. It needs to be unique to you. Okay, mm -hmm. character number three. Now, character number three and four, they're in the right brain. They're right here, right now. However, they are tethered to characters one and two through 300 million axonal fibers through the corpus callosum. So that one hemisphere knows what's going on in the other and vice versa. And 70%, at least of those fibers are inhibitory, which means one hemisphere is inhibiting a comparable group of cells in the opposite hemisphere. So at any point in time, there's a lot of circuits going on in both hemispheres, but they are each dominating one another at specific circuits. Explain that for a second. So if we're using a certain circuitry on the left side, we would make sure that we don't use it at the same time on the right side. So you can either look past or future, or you can look in the present. It's the same functionality, but exactly. it has to be either side. And so they're similar, but they're different. So let's say for language, the left hemisphere will create a sound, like I said, dog, and then it's going to place a meaning on the words dog. So I can come into a room and I can start talking to you and I can be using my authoritative 
character, character one, one yeah. or I can be like uh, not very happy emotionally. Now, characters three and four in the right hemisphere, they don't care what you have to say because they don't understand language. They don't have those cells that have that meaning. But what they care about is what's going on with your face and what's going on with your body and what's going on with the intonation of your vocalization. So they're paying attention to all those little subtle cues of the big picture. They're looking to the context of what you're saying. And they're making a determination whether or not you're telling the truth or not, because based on what you're saying, the details, do the details match the way that you're saying it? So let's say you and I are just meeting one another and we're having a, a conversation. And then all of a sudden you start yelling at me, Jill, I don't know what we're doing here. Da, 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 da. And I would be so stunned that I would be in my right brain simply observing you throw a fit. And my character one is probably missing it because now it's being inhibited because I am so caught up in the present moment, alarm, alarm, alert, alert of the present moment. Are you safe? Are you okay? What's going on? That I might not actually hear the details of what you're saying. So interesting. And the most common thing right now is we lie to each other's faces right through our teeth on the left hemisphere. And the right hemisphere isn't paying any attention at all to seeing if you're actually telling the truth. So the left brain in that case, and one of the interesting things about truth and lies is that the left hemisphere is going to make a decision. I'm going to tell a lie. So character one comes on and says, I'm going to tell a lie to Mo. And then it goes to my right hemisphere and it says, right hemisphere, we're going to tell a lie to Mo. Don't show it on our face. <laughs> okay. And Kara, then, then the right brain decides whether or not it's going to deceive you whether it's going to go along with that. And if it goes along with that, then we learn how to be really good liars. We learn to deceive really well. And if the right hemisphere says, no, that doesn't work for my truth. I'm going to stand at my truth on this one. Then you're going to know that that was like, I just tried to lie to your face. Because hmm. that's what's in the present moment. Can I go back to uh, for a second? So if I throw that fit, and suddenly my, my character two is now engaged, alarm, alarm, something is wrong. So my character one is not even paying attention anymore. Isn't this what normally happens in quarrels in relationships, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, two loving couple, you know, they're talking normally. They can actually discuss the matter. It's not that complicated. But once there is the attack and the blame and so on, you know, character two engages, says this is very wrong, I don't feel safe. So the entire system focuses on I don't feel safe and no other character is able to engage. Exactly. That's the biggest problem in the communication of humanity, I'm afraid. Is that little character too comes in and storms the brain. And, you know, one of the important things we need to understand is that when we're triggered, it's usually like, okay, well, all of a sudden, let's say you and I are a couple and I have a problem with your ex. And so you mentioned that your ex's name and I think, damn it, you know, he keeps bringing her up. And then I move into my emotion, and that's a thought. And then I stimulate my fury of my character too. And then I, in my fury, my brain responds by dumping noradrenaline or adrenaline into my bloodstream. And it floods through me and flushes out of me. And during that 90 second period of time, after 90 seconds, my blood is clear again. 
but I can stay mad at you for a whole lot longer than 90 seconds if I go back years. and rethink the thought and I re-stimulate the emotion and I re-stimulate that physiological response. Oh, I love this. Yeah, so this is when you, the 90 seconds rule, right? I heard you speak about this. Yes, this is the 90 second rule or the 90 second reset. And this is power. But if I decide no mo, I'm no, I'm angry and I'm going to stay angry. And I don't care that we were going to go to a picnic later because I'm just, I'm just going to chew on this bone until I'm done chewing on this bone. And I'm probably going to chew on that bone for, you know, as long as, you know, until the phone rings and then the phone rings and it's like, hello. <laughs> Aren't we always able to do that? Surprisingly, we don't choose to. So character one leaps in and says, look, we're going to be appropriate. You can stay angry, but I'm going to be appropriate with this person over here because that's appropriate for me. So hello. And then I get off the phone after chatting to that person. The circuitry of that 90 seconds loop that I've been running in my hostility and fear is gone. Now is the moment of my choice. What do I do? Do I let my character one come in and stay in? Or do I go right back to chewing the bone? Because I, I, I am not finished with you. And then you have choices. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to step into your two? And if you step into your two and I'm in my two and we're at that angry and we're just fighting with one another, there will never be a resolution between two character twos. Never because they're both just in alarm, alarm, alert, alert. So that's why one person, that's why it's good to go away for 20 minutes, you know, let things dissipate, let things settle down. One of us has to be willing to step into a character one, three, or four in order to get out of the two, two uh, tip for tap fight. Wow. Yeah. Let's describe three and four so that people have yes. the whole brain map if you want. Character three is going to be the emotion of the present moment. And the present moment has no definition of me, the individual. And right here, right now is a perfect moment. I mean, if I don't have the judgment of right and wrong and good and bad, then I'm not saying, oh, it's not sunny enough, so I'm not happy. Or, you know, there's too much humidity in the air. Or I wish those people over there would be quiet or whatever. It doesn't care. It's not making any comparison. It's just in the present moment. And the present moment is a perfect experience. So, and it doesn't have the boundaries so much of me, the individual. So I am like a neuron. I am in relationship with all these other people. And so I like people because I'm a social being connected to other humans or other creatures. And I, I like to be in the present moment and I'm active. Character three is the emotion of the present moment, but that emotion, instead of being all the pain from our past, it's going to be experiential of the present moment. So right now where I am, the humidity in the air is very high. I live on a lake. I'm sweating like, uh, you know, a little character three happy pig. <laughs> Well, my character two is over there going, damn, I hate it when I sweat after I've put lotion on my face and I just explode. And character three doesn't care. Character three is fascinated with the fact that I'm even capable of sweating. It's like, who cares? You know, Mo doesn't care. He's on the other side of the planet. He doesn't care if I'm over here sweating like a pig. He might be wondering what's going on with me. But, you know, other than that, it's no big deal. So I don't get caught up in my character one that would be saying, oh, my gosh, I'm a perfectionist. And here I am. I'm sweating. 
while I'm interviewing with with Mo. And so Mo's going to think I'm unprofessional. And it's like, that's what that character one would feel like. But character three doesn't care at all. Character three is good. So character three cares about the experience of what does it feel like to have my clothing on my body? What does now what's the humidity feel like? Let's go do something fun. Let's let's go for a bike ride on the water or, or let's go row or let's go swim or or let's go explore and let's adventure and let's be creative and let's be innovative because there's no right and wrong and good and bad in the right brain. It's that's that character one over there saying you have to color inside of the lines and you have to use these colors because that's what's right. Leaves are green. You know, you can't paint them purple. So it's innovative and creative and artistic and connected to other people. And it's just generally in the present moment. It has empathy because it's in the present moment and it can respond to your pain. It's compassionate and open and it's fun. It's happy. This is where your Mo Happy is. We like that one. That's your character three. Yeah. And it's the adrenaline junkie. It's still emotion. It's still alarm, alarm, alert, alert, but it wants to be alarmed and it wants to be alert. And it's like, oh my God, there's a snake back there. Oh my God, there's a snake back there. Well, let's go <laughs> look at it. You know, let's chase it. You know, can we catch it? Where's it going? What's it look like? So that's the, the adventure adrenaline junkie in us. So that's character three. Is that a little bit of the kid in us as well? The Absolutely. Both of the emotional brains are immature. They never mature. So they're both our childlike nature. The left is going to be looking for any reason to say no, push away from. And its happiness is based on circumstances in the external world. So am I happy is the question that little character two is going to ask. Little character three isn't about happy. Little character three is the experience of joy, the internal condition of joy. I wake up, I'm a little happy character three. I'm, I'm feeling my joy. I'm excited to be alive. Give me more excitement. Give me more exploration. No right, wrong, no innovation, which also means that this character can get us into a whole lot of trouble because it doesn't really care about authority and it doesn't really care about rules and it doesn't really care about laws and it really doesn't care about respecting systems. So it's going to get into trouble. So we have to have those other characters to keep it out of trouble. So hold on, everyone. I'm going to pause here. I think we're going to continue this conversation for a bit longer. So let's split it into two parts. So we spoke about character one, let's call him the thinker and character two, I call him now the panicker. When we go back into part two, we will speak about characters three and four. Let's call them the player and the lover. And while we're at it, we will talk about love and try to find an understanding of what love really is. Uh, we're going to talk about addiction and why it happens in our brain and just a small little task about how to change our world, how to make our world better. So don't delay. If you don't have anything to do right now, uh, keep listening. I think you will absolutely love part two. If not, don't sleep on it, right? So before you go to bed today, try to continue with us and continue to listen. Either way, if you haven't rated the podcast yet, please rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. It makes a massive difference to our ability to tell others that they should listen to amazing people like Jill. Uh, also, please tell others to listen to Jill specifically. I think her message is definitely important to make our world better. So let's not delay. I'll see you in part two.